my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. As a CEO and fashion authority, I know it's the details that truly matter. And when it comes to luxury, every stitch must be perfectly tailored. At Genesis, they've delivered on every element of the GV80. Two-line LED headlamps accentuate an exterior that exudes athletic elegance. Inside, discover an expansive cabin with ambient lighting. Take a close look at the Genesis GV80 and you'll see. Lux is in the details. Hi, everyone. I'm Rachel Zoe, and you're listening to Climbing in Heels. This show is all about celebrating the most extraordinary superwomen who will be sharing their incredible journeys to the top, all while staying glamorous. Today with me, I'm joined by fashion designer, activist, and author Aurora James. Together, we talk about women supporting women and how society has programmed us to think that there just is not enough space for all women to be really successful. And I'm not sure why, but Aurora also opens up about her background, how she made her way in the fashion world, and how a shoe from Ghana changed her life. Aurora's accessory and shoe line, Brother Valleys, continues to grow, and it's truly beautiful for me to see Aurora's success. It is earned brick by brick, lots of sweat and tears, and it's, I just love the American dream, honestly. She really is living proof of the American dream. Her book, Wildflower, is also available, and it is an incredibly worthwhile read. Welcome, Aurora, to Climbing in Heels. Lady, I'm so happy to have you on. I'm so excited. Like, I'm such a fan of you, of all you do, but also I'm excited to hear about your journey because I met you more recently over the last few years, and obviously you're quite impressive and at the top of your game, but I want to hear about your story because it's very Thank interesting. You, Rachel. Yeah. Well, first of all, there's a couple of things I want to say to you. One is I'm so sorry that there weren't women that were there to, you know, help lift you up because everyone deserves to have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think that society has done a really impeccable job of convincing us as women from a very young age 
that like there can only be one final rose. You're <laughs> you right. know what I mean? It's like right. We must all compete for yep. the final rose. Yep. Like, there is never going to be space for all of us. There is never going to be a good opportunity to give a, another person a helping hand. And in reality, it's like, you know, for me, at least I know that like celebrating your success is not going to impact my success. Right. Right. Like at all, like the idea (laughs) that you have been able to do what you've done in your career and with your life is actually just a huge benefit to me because it's helped reshape how people think of women in fashion and what their capacity is, because you've proven that you can go on and create media empires and all of these things that historically people did not believe. Right. And so you were running in that race, running, running (laughs) in heels, right? Treading. Treading. Yeah. 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 And you know what? Like people are going to throw all kinds of obstacles at you. And by the way, it doesn't really surprise me that some of those people probably were women, right? And it's through no fault of their own. It's just that we were taught and trained that way, that it has to be like survival of the fittest because there's not enough space. And then also like our partner's going to leave us for someone like younger, hotter, cooler, sexier, like better at cooking, like whatever, (laughs) you know what I mean? And it's kind of just like, what partner? Like, I think there's a part of it as well. That's like, we have to really be able to define success on our own terms. And so I just want to congratulate you because I really feel like you've been a big shining light of what that can look like. And I also want to acknowledge that I'm sure it's been really, really painful and really hard and probably so lonely, right? Like success is lonely. Being like a first is lonely. (laughs) I always say that to people. It's so funny. You're the first person to ever actually like say that and sort of recognize it because it is because you're forging your own way and trying to figure it out. No one's telling you like, no, that doesn't work. Like, no, don't try that. We know that doesn't work. (laughs) Right. Totally. And, and, and there's no path, right? So like, I always say like stumbling is evidence of momentum. Right. And, and it's like, when you're forging a path, you are absolutely going to stumble. And there's not going to be anyone ahead of you to like shine a flashlight backwards to be like, hey, girl, come on, it's this way because you're doing something that no one's done before too. So right. You're so You know, and so that is a lonely, lonely, lonely journey. And I think what's so incredible is that you still took it, right? And you made it to the other side, not that it's at the end. (laughs) No, no, no. It's clearing of sorts where you can look back and say like, okay, that's the forest. Those are the trees. I realize, you know, the complexities of what I just went through and that I had to navigate it alone. And it was really hard. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that you say that. I do want to go back to your, your first point, which is, I do think in women's lives, that's exactly what it is. I think that is the issue is that women are taught to think there's only room for one and that's the best one. And I'm in an, it's, you know what? It's like that age old thing of like throwing the bouquet and knocking people over to get the bouquet. Right. Totally. It's like, I never, I personally never went for the bouquet. So like I, so, but, but I think that's such a great example of it. And I think you're right. And I do think that's why women are programmed that way. And I think it's only now that we're able to recognize that there's so much room for so right. many. And you're exactly right. And I think that takes a really 
long time. And sometimes women never actually figure that out. You know, um, a friend of mine, a, a pretty prominent friend who's pretty outspoken and, and, and forward did say something at one point like, why am I, why is it when so-and-so gets that book deal, I then call my agent and say, why the fuck didn't I get that book deal? Instead of going, God, that's amazing for her. Right? Oh, that's amazing for her. This is a great opportunity because now I can say, oh, this is proving a value of what we are worth. Yes. No, you're a hunt. You are 1 billion thousand percent correct. But you know what's also crazy about that? That's that also makes it really hard for us is like once you get that opportunity, then everyone is kind of sitting around to be like, well, let's see if she messes it up. Let's see what happens. And secretly rooting for you to mess it up. Right. Totally. Because they need like that reinforcement of the stereotype, which is that like women can't do it. Right. Men are going to be better. Like fashion girls are dumb. Like whatever it is. Right. Like they need, like women are like these things are like, they secretly live inside of us, not because it's who we are, but because that's what society has programmed us to believe, Mm -hmm. like to believe that we really aren't going to be as good at negotiating as men. We really aren't going to be good at running a business. Like there are so many times where I'd never even leaned into like the business side of my business because I believed that I was just not good at business. Mm -hmm. I was like, I just have to focus on you know, the creative stuff. And I, cause I just, I'm like not good at business. And it's just like, and you surrendered, you surrendered to that before you even actually tried it. Right. Totally. I let society like dim my light in a way that like really held me back for years. And, you know, like I held a lot of shame for it for a while, but now I look at it and I'm like, Oh, it's completely by design. Mm -hmm. Right. And the good news is, is like, now I feel like we're in a situation in society where we can push back against that. Right. We can use our platforms to have these conversations so that other women feel like less alone and say like, let's try to help where we can with other people and other, other younger people. And I think that that's also what you're doing by having this podcast and being brave and continuing to share your story and the stories of other people in it, in what feels like to me, a safe space anyways. Oh, it's a very safe space. It's, we've had a lot of tears on here. We've talked about really, really real things. And it, and I love it because I think it's, listen, it's paying it forward, right? Because I think it's really just about, as you said, having those people and having those women and not feeling alone and then listening to people like you and other amazing women that I've had on, on the pod that it's just like, Oh wait, Holy shit. I can pivot. Holy shit. I'm not too old to do this. Oh my God. I'm not dumb. I'm not scared of this. Wait, wait. And because I'm smart with my gut and not with like numbers. Okay. Wait, I am smart. Wait, it's just different. And this part actually might be more important than that part. So You know, I think it's trying to figure that out. So I want to know a bit, you know, I like to just tap a little on the beginning because I, I like to know sort of where you were born, who you are, like who you were, like as your little Aurora, Yeah, (laughs) which is one of my favorite names, by the way. (laughs) Aurora? It's the prettiest name. Oh my God. Do you know how I got my name? No. I was born sleeping and Sleeping Beauty's name is Princess Aurora. No. Well, yes, that I know because I had to dress up as her for Halloween like five times for the boys. But uh, I love Aurora. I love that. Yeah, so fun, right? beautiful. So that was how I entered the world. I was asleep. (laughs) Yeah. And that was in Canada. That's amazing, uh, by the way. (laughs) Like you have to be able to – that's got to be symbolic of just (laughs) – 
<laughs> so yeah. I think I was like, you know, there's a lot of life to live. I got to get my Z's in while I can in this nine month sabbatical. <laughs> Hundred. You know, it was my garden leave. Um, so yeah, I think that that was the beginning and I was, um, raised in like a suburb outside of Toronto. And then my mom got remarried. My dad passed away and my mom got remarried and we moved to Jamaica. My and that was a really formative experience for me because it was just so different. Yeah, def- it was definitely different. Yes. Right. Because my mom was like, I guess she was about 40 at the time. And she was, I was seven. So it, she, and I guess she was just like trying to have her like rebirth moment. I think of it because yeah. I'm this age that she would have been when she moved. And it was like actually really awful because my stepfather was super abusive and, and, and it was just a mess. And Which there is so, very normal, unfortunately, totally, yeah. and not totally. really policed at all. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah, I know. I oh, know. you've been there, you know. Well, that. I've been there and I have close people from there and the stories raise, you know, it, there, there's a common yeah. thread there. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it tracks. Yeah. 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 It's really sad. It is. It is. It is because Jamaicans are really incredible people, you know, like just, it's, it's, a, yeah. it, you know, just beautiful people. And I, I hate that. Like I really, I just hate that. And again, I think that goes back to how you feel as a woman. Right. Right. And I think there's just like, you know, it happens kind of across the board where it's like cycles of abuse will continue to perpetuate themselves throughout mm-hmm. many generations, mm-hmm. unless there's some kind of intervention. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, fortunately in America, we have a little bit more of an understanding about mental health services, even though they're like insanely expensive in Canada, you can kind of get that help for free. This healthcare situation here is just a little bit more difficult, Uh, but in a place like Jamaica, no one ever said the word therapy to me. No, Uh, no, no. I think it's, again, I think it's, Without saying accepted, it's accepted as a bit of a norm, which is wild and ridiculous and tragic. (laughs) Yeah. So So you're a young girl in Jamaica living this life that you're not enjoying. Not enjoying. I talk a lot about it in my book, actually. It was pretty painful. My stepfather was totally awful. But it was interesting, like, experience for me because I understood, I just began understanding that there's a lot of different ways that people can live a life in this world, you know? Yeah. And that a big part of privilege just comes from another thing that you can't really control, which is which country you happen to be born in. I know. You know? Family. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And so we um, made our way back to Canada and um, I went to high school there and everything. And then uh, I applied to school for fashion and I never got in. Ironic. (laughs) Ironic. Right. I'm waiting for them to give me like my honorary fashion degree. That <laughs> I, hasn't happened. I think yet, you're living you know? it. I, I mean, right? didn't you win like a CFDA and like yeah, all the stuff? Yeah. yeah. I feel like you've won yeah, a yeah. whole wall of awards. So yeah. Thinking you're, you. yeah. thinking you're thinking you're good over there. Right. <laughs> for, a minute, for a minute. For a minute. <laughs> for a minute. For a minute. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I but are you like old. ambitious? Are you shy? Are you like unstoppable? Are you like speaking up for yourself or are you like more timid and like because I find you to be one would think that you're timid because you're soft mm-hmm. but you're not timid mm-hmm. you're strong mm-hmm. you're strong in what you say but it's mm-hmm. how you say it 
that is soft and like kind, you know, mm, <laughs> that's thanks. how I perceive you. No, that's fascinating. I definitely was like, no, She's like, you're wrong. No, 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 no. I, I, I definitely am a little bit introverted, which really surprises people. Mm-hmm. And in high school, like, I had this group of girlfriends and they used to make fun of me because I kind of stopped talking sometimes in like large groups because I think I just, it's a little bit overwhelming and I really want to listen. I think I've always been a big listener. And so, yeah, I think I definitely had the reputation in high school for being shy. Okay. But my mom was always a, I don't want to say she was a full-blown activist. I guess she was, but you know, she'd always, we would do like a silent demonstration at city hall with a group of her friends about like legalizing cannabis or, you know, any of these issues. Like there was a whole other thing that she did about like the right for women to go topless. And that, that was like a big thing. Like, I remember we were like, you know, protesting for that for a long time. And then finally the law passed that, you know, women could go topless. And I was horrified because I was like, oh my God, now my mom's going to be like topless at the mall. (laughs) And I was like, well, mom, like, when are you going to stop wearing a shirt? You know? And she was like, me? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh, what do you mean? I would never go topless. (laughs) She's like, I just want the right to. Yeah, exactly. I was like, why are we putting in this effort? And she's like, because we need the right to, we need equal rights. It's about equal rights. Right. And not making a woman's body taboo. Right. Um, And having other people govern it. Right. Totally. And so that kind of thing was really formative for me early on because it was like, oh, you have to be active and proactive for the rights of all people. It doesn't matter if it's something that's personally going to affect you. You have to make sure that you get out there and support that and really always be an advocate for equality. So you leave Canada. You don't get into fashion school. Mm -mm. And what happens? So I went to school. I ended up going to school for journalism, like English, essentially. But I end up meeting this woman named Jeannie Becker. Do you remember yeah. who that yeah, is? Yeah, of course. Okay, from so um, she, Canada's, uh, from she did like, television. yeah, fashion television. I did yes. so many interviews with Jeannie Becker. Really? Oh my God. Honestly, like if, yes, like she probably interviewed me more than anyone at fashion shows. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So cool. So I, so I used to work at the gym part-time mm-hmm. when I was in school mm-hmm. and we had this uniform we had to wear all black and I would shop for vintage stuff. I would find like Yohi Yamamoto, mm-hmm. like black looks or whatever. And she would come and check and it would be like literally 5am and she would come to the gym and like, I would sign her in or whatever. And she would always be like looking at me like, why are you doing? And then one day she was just like, what is this? Like what, what's going on here? Right. Like, why are you here? Right. And I was like, well, I'm in school. And she was like, but what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. I would love to work for you. And she was like, great, come work for me. Stop being here. And I was like, great. So then the next day. Jeannie Becker. I love that. Yeah. So then the next day I like started interning there and it was fascinating because I started out as an intern and I, I just started transcribing the tape library. So like, I'm sure I did one of your interviews, (laughs) you know. It was just crazy because it, it, that was, uh, how old was I? Probably like 23. And I remember it would be like Coco Rocha and Bahati Prinsloo, like when they were best friends, you know what I mean? And the camera guy would just like spend the whole day with them. And I would just watch the footage in real time, transcribing it all, writing down all the words, doing all the closed captioning so that people could, yeah, it was that. How 
wild is yeah. that? Yeah. And then I ended up working there for, I think, like two years. They were like, we need to make a website and we need to do social media. Do you know anything about this? And I was like, yeah, like blogs, you mean? And they're like, yeah, we need a blog. Can you run our blog? And our Like, and you're our, young. Our you know how to do this, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then we ended up doing a story about like fashionable people in LA on MySpace, you know? And uh, yeah, and I ended up having to work on that story. So this was like and, what, like um, 03 around? Literally, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, I ended up working on that story. And then there was a guy that we ended up doing a little profile on. Then uh, we fell in love and I moved to LA. Stop. Yeah. That's how it happened. Get out. (laughs) Not with said person now, right? No. Okay. Okay. You were like a child. Married. I was 23. We got married. We were married for like a year and a half. No. You probably don't want to marry like the MySpace club guy. Maybe you do, but like not for more than a year. No, no, no. (laughs) But if it makes you feel any better, I know quite a few that married the MySpace club guy or a version of. Version of. And we call it a blip. Right. We call it a a blip. And it was was a learning. It was a learning. But that was how I ended up in America. I love that. But listen, see, that good came out of this. Okay, so you're in America. You're working in fashion television. No, I had to leave that job. So I was in America. I couldn't work, right? Because I didn't have a visa. visa. Oh my God. So I was I always forget about that. Right. I was gonna I would go to like St. Vincent de Paul's. Do you know what that is? No. Like a it's like a place in downtown LA where like clothes go to die. Like it's just it's like like just all the clothes. Okay. And and I would go there and just like look through the racks and try to find things. And one day I found like this whole section of citizens of humanity. Mm -hmm. Remember those? Yeah, of course. And, um, and I was like, Oh my gosh, these are samples. I was like, these are samples that they've dumped here. Right. And the thing with all of those denim brands, when they sample, they don't put a top button on the jeans sometimes Mm -hmm. when it's a production sample. Mm -hmm. So that makes it a sample that's unwearable. So I took all of those jeans and like went back and like sewed buttons on them and then I would take them to like fancy consignment stores on Melrose, like Wasteland. Yeah, like Wasteland and, um, and sell all, all other, of yep, them there. Yep, yep. What was the other and one we loved on La Brea? American, American Rag. Yes, American yeah. Rag. Yes, that was it. That was what I did. My rent was $725 a month. So I knew if I got like, you know, 20 pairs of jeans, like I would be good because they weren't buying for a lot. Right. <laughs> That's amazing. That's mm-hmm. That's incredible, honestly, because it's like, you're like, I'm not allowed to work. So I'm going to go down, get these very expensive jeans that are unusable. I'm going to just use my brain and put a button on the jeans so they are usable. Totally. And then I'm going to sell them. Yeah. And they were, they were, you know, actually some of them I would sell for like a hundred dollars. Um, I yeah. found my very first ever Dior bar jacket at the Jewish Women's Council as well. I mean, I oh, yeah. every single vintage place in, oh, yeah. you know, the Los Angeles area, like, I've been. Oh, yeah. I uh, some of my favorite treasures are from, like, Army Navy supply store. I mean, yes, I have found vintage Chanel long ago at these places. Totally. Yes, absolutely. You just got to find where the women dump them. <laughs> totally. 
<laughs> oh, literally, yes. That and that was that was my hustle. I was like, I'm gonna figure out how to do this. I'm just gonna like do what I love to do, which is like look at clothes, study clothes. My mom was always really big on, you know, understanding fashion as like an art form yeah. and also like an anthropological exercise. Sure. Like, where's this? Where where's this shoe from? Where in the world? What is it made out of? What does that mean about the people in the community uh-huh. that made the shoe? Mm-hmm. All that jazz. So finding like the good fabric in a sea of polyester was like not hard for me. So you're living in LA, you're selling clothes. And are, at this point, are you like, okay, what am I doing with my life? Like what happens? How do I live here? Do I have to go back to Canada? Like what happens? Cause that's got, I mean, that has to be scary. Yeah, it was scary. And my friends were all like, what are you doing? Yeah, sure. You know, but I was in love and I really wanted to figure it out. And you know, I really only had him. And when I finally was allowed to work, I ended up working at a nonprofit arts organization called Gen Art. Yeah, of course. You know, just started learning about how do we use like corporate dollars to make art happen? Mm-hmm. You know, like how do we raise money for Rodarte to have a fashion yes. show yes. and like Moroccan oil hair shampoo, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yes. whatever. And so I started working. I feel like I'm literally living in your past. Yes. I know. I know so well everything you're speaking of. Yes. 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 Yeah. I remember one time we did a show. It was like a fashion show in LA and it was like sponsored by Botox. And I was like, is this like pushing it? But I was like, listen, I'll take the money where I can get the the money. money. Take the money. Take the money. Take the money. Nope. Nope. I think, I think like. 10, 15 years ago, we'd be like, no way, we are not having that affiliation. And I'm pretty sure if like a dog food brand wanted to sponsor a fashion show, they'd figure it out. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> they would dress, totally. they would dress totally. the dog. Totally. <laughs> totally. So yeah, I mean, that was really how, how I, I, then I, I was at Jen Art and then, <laughs> you know, I ended up like surprise my you know club guy marriage didn't work out right. and I went to New York which was which was great and I was working at Gen Art in New York and I kind of went down to just being freelance and I started working in show production as well and casting and just like doing all the like things. New York things all the things but um, it's really expensive to live in New York well yeah I lived in a one-bedroom <laughs> apartment in the Lower East Side with two other people right well that's yeah I mean, it's how you live in New York. I mean, it's how you live in New York. That's how, how you, you live, live in New York. York. And actually, Pop Tips was a sponsor of something that we did once, and there was like fifteen extra gigantic boxes of <laughs> bags of Pop Tips, and I took them back to the apartment. I was going to say, you're like, like bonus lunch, lunch. But you have to do what you have to you do. do. That's the thing. You yes. have to do what you have to do, and it's such a shame that like a lot of that gets lost in people's stories once they become more successful because it's, I just like want young people to know that like whatever freak you have to do to like get it done, you know, get it done. I had so many friends that were like working at nightclubs, bartending, doing whatever just in order to facilitate their internship during the day. Of course you You have to do that. And it, it is to your point, those things do get lost in the conversation, which is exactly why I do climbing in heels because I want people to know how freaking hard it is and that it's brick by brick and it's a lot of sweat and it's a lot of tears and it's a lot of like, I give up, but it's a lot of like, nope, I'm going to keep going. And it's a lot of how can I keep going? And who do I know that can like give me a part-time job to do X and 
You know, I have friends that worked four different jobs just to like, you know, you just, you got to do it. But then you get to be in a position, hopefully at some point where you're like, yeah, I met this person because I was doing this, because of this part-time shit job I had doing X and now they're running this place and da da da, you know? So like each thing, but it's hard in the moment, right? It's hard in the moment because you're just like, where is this leading and what happens, right? So then you go to New York and then at what point are you like, I'm starting my own brand? Because that's really scary. You never had the moment. moment. So what happened was- (laughs) You're like, just kidding. I didn't have that moment. (laughs) I, okay. So my father was born and raised in Ghana and he died when I was little. And I just never, I didn't really know anything about Africa beyond Mm -hmm. like what you see on TV, Mm -hmm. which is like at the time was like world vision commercials that are like, you can feed a kid for penny a days. And I was like, I did that. I did that. I kept adopting children. I I kept adopting kids and my parents would get the phone calls. And I was like, I can't bear it. The kid with the tear mom taking this kid. Totally. Right. Yes. (laughs) Every day. And so then I ended up like saving up. It was actually a weird situation. Friends of mine were going there to do a fashion show. It was Mm -hmm. like a sponsored fashion show Mm -hmm. in Nigeria. And so I ended up, they were like, will you come with us to help like the produce the show? And I was like, yes. So that Mm -hmm. was the first time I ever went to Africa. And I ended up basically over the course of like a year kind of backpacking around different places in Africa. Mm-hmm. And my mom, as I mentioned, was like very into like traditional, like Danish clogs. She had like Japanese kimono that she would like keep and preserve and like her. really necessarily wear, but really appreciate, you know? Love her. So when I was going to Africa, I was like immediately looking for like anything artisanal, right? Mm-hmm. And, and traditional. And I was really shocked because a lot of what was there was like, like knockoff true religion jeans and like hood by air. Like basically the vibe was Cristiano Ronaldo. No. Like, yeah, they were like really emulating like Christian, Christian really? Ronaldo. And I was shocked because I wasn't expecting. That like, actually is shocking. Yeah. I wasn't expecting like European or Western like fashion standards to like creep onto the continent of Africa, which I guess in retrospect is silly, but that's definitely what was happening. And so it was hard to find anything traditional, but anyways, I ended up going to South Africa and Namibia and seeing this shoe, which was called a veli. Mm-hmm. And actually the full word is felskoon, like V-E-L-D-S-K-O-E-N, which okay. they call felskoon or a veli for short. And it was kind of one of the very first shoes that ever evolved on the continent. It started out with just being like leather that they wrapped around their foot from an animal they Uh ate. And then it became like a top, a bottom, and a side piece of leather tacked together. And then at one point when they started working with the rubber tree, they put a rubber sole on it. And when British people were in Southern Africa, they saw the veli and they fell in love with it and they brought it back up to the UK and they kept it exactly as it was, but they renamed it a desert boot and they launched the company Clark's. Wow. Yes. So I love this story. Right. So that shoe is actually a traditional African shoe. That's wild. I thought you were going to say wallabies. Remember those? Yeah, totally. I remember wallabies. I thought you were going to, I thought it was going to be a wallaby, but I guess that's Aussie. Just kidding. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Blonde moment. I want to know. 
And so, well, you know, my mom used to talk to me about Ugg boots because those are like a traditional Australian surfing shoe. Yep. Sure do know that. Crazy, so right? Comfortable. So comfortable. So comfortable. So, so that's the origin story of that shoe. And I, when I would find, I found a few workshops that were like multi-generationally owned and, and they had a supply chain that was fascinating. There would be, you know, a, a farmer who worked with the animals and sold all the meat at the local farmer's market and then had the hides left over. And that's what they would use to make the shoes. And then there were women that would dye the leather using plants or tree bark. Or it's utilizing avocado. every possible resource. Totally. Nothing is wasted ever. Totally. As a CEO, fashion authority, and mom, I know it's the details that truly matter. And when it comes to luxury, every stitch must be perfectly tailored. That's why driving the sleek Genesis GV80 is such a luxurious experience. The SUV's exterior design, including two-line LED headlamps, exudes athletic elegance. When you sit inside the expansive GV80 cabin, you can customize the ambient interior lighting to match your current mood, a feature that makes driving in LA a more relaxed and serene experience. So go ahead, take a close look at the Genesis GV80, and you'll see. Lux is in the details. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. 
And Ramp Software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. You know, it was crazy because these workshops were just like closing down like rapidly. There was only a few left. And I just loved what they were doing. I started wearing the shoes a bunch and I was like, listen, there was a workshop that I loved so much and it was at risk of going out of business. And I was like, had $3,500 in savings. And I was like, okay, let's work together. I want to make a batch of these shoes. I want to change them a little bit. And, you know, maybe we can make a bunch and I'll just take them back with me to New York. And they were like, okay, sure. Whatever you want to do, lady, you know, and um, (laughs) crazy lady. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, can you like help me learn how to make them? So they taught me like how to make a shoe kind of from beginning to end and but all the different types of leather. I met with the farmers. I met with the women. There was a specific tribe of women called the Himba that were dyeing this amazing red color because they cover their whole bodies every day in red clay and their hair in red clay. And so they taught me how to dye using red clay. I brought this, I put all the shoes in my luggage and I brought them back to New York and I set up a booth for $70. You could get a rent a booth basically at something called the Hester street fair, which is like a flea market in the lower East side of Manhattan. I think we're going to say 26th street. I was like, I lived at the 26th street flea market. Like, that right. My yeah, totally. Ever. Right. When you're, that's the vibe. It's a flea market. That's where I shopped. So, that's my yes, shopping. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so I like set up a little table and I brought the shoes and I put them out there and I just wanted to, I didn't call it anything. I was just, I wanted to sell these shoes because I thought that they were awesome. And then I, you know, started selling them and I used the money that I got to, you know, send it back there and get more shoes and stop. That's how it was born. That's it. You like, I mean, that is wild. Yeah. The first time I was there was the first or second week I was there. There was a woman that came and she bought a pair for her husband. And then I guess she'd come back like maybe four weeks later and I wasn't there because I had ran out of shoes. And then I came back and she came back and she was like, where have you been? And I was like, oh, like I ran out of shoes. So I wasn't here, you know, and, and she was like, well, I need to buy more. My husband really loves them. And I was like, great. And she was asking me all these questions about, you know, how I sourced it and the story of the valleys. And I was telling her everything. And she was like, you know, you really need a website. And I was like, oh, well, it's really just a, a, a stall right now. Like, this is a big lift yeah, for me at sure. 8 a.m. Yeah. And she was like, well, I need you to make one. I need you to make a website. And I was like, okay. I mean, she's my number one customer at this point, Rachel. She bought like four <laughs> pairs of shoes. So I'm like, anything this woman wants, she gets. Yeah, you know, of VIP, course. VIP, and how VIP. much were the shoes? How much were you selling them for? I think they were $135. Okay. Which at a flea market, by the way, is a lot. Is a lot. Yeah. Is a lot. Is a lot. And so she was like, I need you to make a website. Can you do it by like Wednesday afternoon? And I was like, oh God, you know, it's Saturday morning. I'm like, yeah, I can try. And she's like, promise me that you'll do it. And like, I need to know like early on Wednesday. And I was like, okay, fine. You know, and I'll, I'll email you by like Tuesday night. And she was like, okay, great. So she gives me like her Gmail or whatever. So I call my friend as soon as I leave, who's like, 
you know, another like 20 year old playing like Dungeons and Dragons, like in his parents' basement. And I was like, will you make me a website, you know, for this thing I'm doing? And he was like, oh man, like, uh, you know, I guess so. Right. <laughs> like I ordered him a pizza, like he did it, you know, kind of begrudgingly. And so then I send the woman like the link to the website on Tuesday night or whatever. She doesn't respond. I'm like, oh God, this woman, like so much effort or whatever. And then on Thursday, she ends up writing me and she's like, thank you so much for making the website. You should go get a copy of the New York Times. And I went and I got a copy of the New York Times and she had written this big story in the style section, no. the Thursday section about me and the shoes. Did you like die? I died. I died. <laughs> I died. And then I went onto like our little website and all of the shoes that I had like put up there had sold. Oh, that's actually the American dream. It is. I know. No, like that's the American dream. That's like what people talk about. That's like, that is, that is the thing we don't hear enough about, to be honest. No. That is, is. such a story and like the most yeah. beautiful story. So then at that point, that is that when you were like, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to try for a CFDA, um, a Vogue fashion fund, or did you? Kind of. Uh, so I was like, okay, how do I get in front of people? Like, how do I get people to see this? Like, yeah. I don't know anyone. Right? right. And so I would get the magazines and I would read the masthead. So right. I had everyone's names at least. <laughs> who's, who's the accessories director? Exactly. Who's the, right, exactly. Right, right. And so when I would go to Africa, I would get postcards mm-hmm. And I would send them postcards and I'd say, hi, I'm in Africa right now. I'm working on making some shoes. If you're open to it, like I would love to show you what I'm making when I, when I get back. And by the time you receive this postcard, I'll be back, you know, and like, this is my email. And so a few people would email me, which was really amazing. Like women's wear daily Uh email me and L emailed me and, and, and someone at Vogue emailed me and, wow. and, and Nicole then I Friend was like, from Bazaar probably like, she, right. yeah, she's such a, yeah, fan. yeah. It, it was really awesome that people were like open to, you know, having me come by. And I was like this very, you know, crunchy, mm-hmm. hippie dippy girl mm-hmm. as I still kind of am. Mm-hmm. And, and I think people were just like, what is happening with this person? And so then, <laughs> but they all, but the thing about fashion is like, when they smell something new and compelling, right. it's like, you know, right. and they totally, all like, me yeah. first, me first. I get the first pair. I got the first look. I get the, totally, you know, so totally, totally, it's like a frenzy. Totally. totally. And so then I was like, I actually didn't tell anyone that I was applying to the fashion fund except for like my same friend who mm-hmm. helped me with the website because mm-hmm. I needed him to help like me like put my materials together. And I was like, you know what? I'm never going to get in, but I know that someone is going to have to review my materials. Mm-hmm. And if it's one of these judges, yeah, then it will be worth it. Sure. Sure. You know, yeah. I'm like, Whoever, Jenna Lyons at J. Crew, mm-hmm. like who, whoever. Any like, of I, these people are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So that was why I applied. And it was really crazy that I made it to the next phase because I really wasn't expecting that in a hundred million years. I ended up, I won two years after I launched the brand. That's so wild. That is so wild. 
I mean, that is such a story and I'm so happy I know it and fully understand it now because I don't think enough people know that story. You know, I really don't. And you should actually share it more. But I think because it's so inspirational and it's so hard and it's so hard to do. And like, you know, just now and I'm, you know, involved in fashion trust and all these things. And it's just watching the talent that exists in the world and in this country and in every country. But like the amount of talent, undiscovered, unnurtured, unmentored talent you know, that's out there is so incredible. And it's like, it is so hard. And when I meet so many young designers and they're like, you know, I'd love to gift these to you and like, whatever. And it's like, I don't want to take it because I know how much that cost, you know, I know. But at Uh the same time, they're like, even if you just wear it, you don't have to post it. And it's like, no, no, no. If I'm taking this, I'm posting the fuck out of this because there's going to be a real purpose to like taking this. And, you know, I I think that I think that these stories are so important because we have to continue to nurture talent and and mentor and fund more importantly, because you can make incredible things. But if you can't afford to make them, they don't get made. (laughs) <laughs> and right. people no, totally. need to buy them. So yes. So I was just explaining this to like someone who doesn't know anything about fashion the other day. And yeah. I was like, they were asking me about the, the, the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund. And, mm-hmm. and I just went to the CFDA Awards on Monday and I wore the woman who is the runner up this yeah, year. Yeah, you look so beautiful. I love that dress on you. Gorgeous. Leo yeah. Tima. It's all Gorgeous. hand crocheted in Jamaica, beautiful. right around the corner from where I went to school beautiful I saw that I was like it was gorgeous I loved both dresses you You looked stunning thank you thank you so much yeah we talk about creativity and young designers and even like made in America or you know sustainably made stuff and it's like all of that is happening it's just not really being supported in the way that we want right and so that really means that as consumers we have to shop with our values in mind too right it's like if you want to see more women designers you have to shop more women's That's designers. True. And support small businesses if you don't want Amazon to take over. So now your collection yeah. is incredibly successful. You're, you're sold like all over the place. Not all over the place, but in a lot mm-hmm. of places. And your yeah. own site. Mm-hmm. Tell everybody where to find you, please. Oh, brothervalleys.com. Also Nordstrom's or Saks. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. And now you've <laughs> been, but now you're also doing, aren't you doing clothing as well? No, not really. A little. I'll do like clothing collabs every once in a while. Right. You know what I mean? But really still focusing on shoes and bags because that's what feels like most connected to me. You know? Uh, it's better. Can I just add yeah. that? Better. Yeah. Do shoes and I bags. So. Also, there's like, there's a lot of amazing people already in the clothing space. So I'm like, mm, there is. oh my gosh, your dog's so cute. Oh, do you see her? Goldie, where yeah. are you? Where are you? Come say hi. <laughs> Hello. She is such a mama's girl. She literally like won't let me podcast without being in the vicinity. She won't. But wait a minute. Okay. So then, so then you write your story, your life story, which very cathartic, very profound, very strong, honest, Mm. beautiful, Mm. (laughs) all the things I scream to anyone who will listen to buy it, Um, Mm. gift it. Great holiday gift. Yeah, great holiday gift. Great holiday, great holiday gift. Great holiday gift. Sell your book, Aurora. Sell your book. Yeah, I mean, I really wrote it because I 
wanted to give an opportunity for other women who might think that they're not quite the right person to take that big leap of faith on themselves, mm-hmm. right? And Which start that business. That's most. Right. A hundred percent. Like we get in our way more than anyone else. There's a whole statistic about, you know, like if you put job posting in front of a man and a woman, like men can not meet like eight of the qualifications and they'll still apply. If women don't meet one of the qualifications, they won't even think about applying. That is so true. Yes. What is that? That is so true. (laughs) I'd be like, oh no, this isn't for me. I can't do that. Nope. Right. No, completely. (laughs) It's like we get in our own way of success, right? And I think that like my story in a lot of ways is not really getting in my own way of success. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do in certain moments, but I think there's something about me that's like, well, I should just try, Mm -hmm. right? I should just try. And I think maybe because of my time in Jamaica, maybe because of the way that I was raised, I've always been like really tapped into my own privilege that I have. Mm -hmm. Right. And even when I started becoming a little bit more successful and don't get me wrong, Brother Valleys is not, you know, Michael Kors, but what is my friend? What is (laughs) (laughs) right. So, but you know, like, I think we make really beautiful shoes. They sell really well. You know, it's afforded me a pretty great life and a pretty great platform. And so I think for me, it's like, I think we, we should use those things to our advantage, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. and I really love making beautiful things in a really beautiful way. You know, I love playing with different fabrics and materials and, and creating shoes that I think can stay in people's archives for forever. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that really my guiding light in doing that has just been about wanting to connect with other people and nature and women mm-hmm. and create communities of women that can support each other and And I think a lot about the book is, you know, women and how, and how women have supported me and how I want to give back and support other women. And then also like, you know, the whole thing about blooming in places where you're not expected to bloom, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. people aren't always like rooting for you to succeed. People aren't always like leaving space for you to like show up with all of your full colors and like radiant light. Nope. And I think it's like, we got to just do it anyways. Yes. You know, we got to find the courage to do it anyways. And I hope that this book helps give people some of that courage. And now the messages I- from people are so amazing. And you're also tapping into so many other parts now, I feel like, right? You just launched a fund mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Emma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, separately from separately Emma, from but, Emma. But we work together sometimes. She's so amazing. And she's been she- crushing it on Shark Tank, which uh, is so cool. Emma just is crushing period. I know. She's awesome. (laughs) I launched it separately, but I like, it's been something that I've been working on for a year, basically since I started the pledge, because I was like, you know, we can create a lot of opportunity for founders, but unless they have access to capital, it's really hard to grow a business. Mm -hmm. It's really really hard. Really hard. hard. We talk about that a lot. It's really hard. and, And it's hard even more so for women to get money. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think for me, it's like, even when someone does want to invest, it's like your business is your baby. Like, do you want to trust that person with your baby? Right? No, (laughs) that part. Yeah, I know. I know. That's the part. Cause sometimes you'll finally manage to get an offer and then you're like, wait, like, I don't, I I don't want to work for this person. He doesn't understand me. Yeah. He doesn't understand me, my customer, my brand, what I'm trying to do. Mm Mm-hmm. A thousand percent. It's it's hard. So you're going to be providing strategic 
capital to founders. Yep. I love it. I love exactly. it. And like hopefully an ecosystem of support, you know? Yeah. And I think for me, like I decided to call it friends and family because when you hear these stories about launching a business, it's like, oh, you're supposed to get money from your friends and family. And it's like, what if your friends and family don't have any money? <laughs> it's By the way, I say that all the time. Everyone's like, we're just going to do friends and family. We're doing like a 2 million raise for friends and family. I'm like, nice friends. That's great. Right. Totally. <laughs> That's great. How many totally. friends? How many friends did that round? How many friends right. and family did that round with you? Right. No, that's, totally. that's great. Good for you. But what about people that don't have friends and family that can put a million dollars into a business or whatever? And that was so crazy for me. Like when I was, you know, in the early years of Brother Bellies, like people would say like, oh, you need to just raise from your friends and family. And I was like, there's a hundred percent chance my mom is not even giving me a hundred dollars. Like I don't, it's just, it's like, it's not happening. Guys, but that's most, that's most, that's most. And so I think that's important to really talk about and provide and help again, like pay it forward from all that you've done and all that you've learned and try and nurture, you know, more people that are taking that brutal road because they love it, you know, and they believe in what they're doing. 2000%. And that's why also the fashion fund was so important for me because Mm -hmm. it was a $300,000 grant that I won. Yes. Right. It's like, when else are you getting $300,000 for free? No, you're not. You're You're not. Not not. without someone owning you. Right. Literally. Yes. You know? And and so I think, yeah, the opportunity to win $300,000 and like, you know, have access to all of those judges, like, you know, Anna Wintour, DBF, like it just was so, so huge for me. And so I think now, you know, having launched my nonprofit, 15% pledge and, and, and trying to support black entrepreneurs. It's like, how do we create grant opportunities? And then also an ecosystem of founders that they can just call for help sometimes to ask those questions. Cause when you're the first, like what we talked about, when you're the first person, uh-huh. it can feel really lonely. And sometimes yep. you just want someone that you can pick up the phone and call. Yep. It's like that video game. I always kind of like think about it in my head. You're like running into the wall and bouncing back. You're like, wait, I got this. Well, nope. I fell backwards again. Someone else just like, I always have that visual or like trying to go into the ocean and like getting out so far, then that wave just takes you right back in. It's just, it's that feeling. Well, I adore you. I'm so impressed with you. I love your story. I love your personal story. I love your professional story. I love your ambition. I love all of it. And I, and I also love how you have like taken away from it. Like not only are you paying it forward, but you're also, you're so optimistic and you're like, I'm not tripping over myself because I mean, Mm. I still trip over myself. We just do because it's like we, opportunity block, opportunity block. Oh no, no, wait, let me unblock that. Let me, let me unblock that. I don't need to block that. But like, I think to your point, women's tip women typically block and they're like why I'm not right for that or whatever so I I think that's so important and I love what you're doing I love all the things you're doing and I'm so impressed and I can't wait to see what you keep doing honestly and I love that you climb in heels Oh my gosh, I absolutely climb in heels. You the do. whole thing is gonna climb. You know, my mom said to me when I first started designing high heels, what? she was like, she was like, Well, that's interesting. 
High heels were traditionally created as a tool to keep women from running away. So you have to do everything that you can to use it as a tool to help women run and push forward. <gasps> you need to put that on your social today. Okay. That's beautiful. I'll put it on my I'll put it please. on my social when we when we make yes. when we Yes, please cuz I on. really love that and I'm 100% going to give your mom credit and I'm recycling that because it makes yeah. See, that's why I was saying when you were saying she loves the history of everything. And I'm like, I yeah. love that because we don't really talk enough about that. And that is amazing. And it makes absolute sense. And that's why, by the way, fun fact, I went to Cedars Sinai Hospital to give birth to both my kids wearing seven inch heels. I did. Wow, really? I, did. I didn't keep them on during birth. Don't think I'm insane. But, like, <laughs> but let's be real. But I did go in heels. I just, wow. it was just, I don't know. It was all I knew. It was 4 a.m. My boots were there. I put them no, on. No, listen. I mean, listen, <laughs> I think the number one time, like people talk a lot. Well, maybe they don't, but in certain worlds, people talk a lot about what it, what luxury means. Mm -hmm. And I think to me, when I think about Brother Bellies, I know that it makes women feel more empowered. It mm -hmm. makes women feel proud. It makes women feel accepted. Mm -hmm. It makes women feel like they can do anything that they want to do. Like a pair of Brother Valley's heels is like a cape. So that. Rachel, do your thing. Wear the heels to Cedar Sinai. That's your cape. <laughs> and by the way, I have to make sure they're Brother Valley too, by the way. Well, they will be next time. Listen, I love it. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. I love you. I hope I get to see you soon. I love um, you, too. I'm sure I'll see you soon. Yeah. I'm, sure. I'm so happy you're in LA. I just always think yeah. of you in New York, but you yeah. know, but you're both. You're both. You're both. I'm both. Really right. I'm Have both. a beautiful day and take a nap. Thank you for you coming too. on. Yes, I'm going to do that right now. Bye, sweetheart. Thanks, Bye. Bye. Okay, it's that time in the show when I answer two listener questions. So let's see what we have today. How do you recover from having a bad day? And do you let your kids see when you're feeling down? It's a great question, actually. The way that I typically recover, funny enough, is with my kids. <laughs> like, truthfully, if I'm having a bad day, I typically will like get off my computer and like have dinner with the kids and then will watch a show or a movie or something to just like shut my brain down and have them both kind of on top of me cuddling and like full effect. And that really helps me heal because it takes my brain out of work, out of life, and I can just kind of realize how blessed I am. And sometimes for me, my kids just kind of like check me. It's sort of like your day is not that bad. You have this and you're good. The rest you can figure out. So that really does help me. And in terms of my kids seeing me down, I've tried very hard for my kids not to see when I'm down. It's very rare that they've seen me cry. And the few times they have, they really worry. They really worry. They're like, mommy, are you okay? Is everything okay? And I do know for me that when I was young, if I saw my mom or dad upset, when I saw my mother in tears, I knew something was really wrong. So I try to be very you know, aware of how much they feel if I'm down. So yeah, not too much. I, I try really not to show up. But if they ask me and something is bothering me or I'm having a rough day, sometimes I'll just say, mommy's tired or I'm, I'm having a bad day, but I'll be good tomorrow, you know, because I, I don't like to lie. And they're old enough now where they understand. 
Okay, if you could go back in time, what internship would you die to have? Ooh, that's a good one. I mean, honestly, I would have loved to have interned for like Oscar de la Renta. You know, living in New York, I think I think interning for Oscar de la Renta or Marc Jacobs would have absolutely been a dream because I just would have, it would have been like going to fashion school, you know, it would have been the best and just learning from, you know, just absolute talent. That would have been a dream, an absolute dream. And I never had any of those internships. So, you know, for those of you that do get those dream internships, enjoy every second and learn everything you can. Okay. Don't forget to submit your questions for next week's episode. All you have to do is DM us your questions to at Climbing in Heels Pod on Instagram, and I just might answer your question. I want to thank you so much, Aurora, for coming on the podcast. Your story is so incredibly inspiring, and again, really, really living proof of the American dream. We had the most incredible conversation about taking a leap of faith on yourself, your journey, and really learning how to put yourself first. And I have to say like Aurora was really fearless in so many ways because, you know, from a very shy girl and a somewhat troubled upbringing to say the least, I think that Aurora really was able to overcome that and say like, this is my shot. Let me figure this out. And she took something she was passionate about on a trip to Ghana and turned it into a business from being at a flea market and selling a few pairs of amazing shoes to turning it into a business. And obviously now, as you've heard, Aurora does multiple things and she is a force and she is someone who really lives her truth and it's incredibly impressive and I am endlessly inspired by Aurora you should absolutely get her book Wildflower it's pretty amazing and if you want more Climbing in Heels content please follow me on at Rachel Zoe and at Climbing in Heels pod on Instagram for more updates and upcoming guest episodes and all things Curator and I will see you next week Mwah.